Welcome to Career Revisionist with Dr. Grace Lee, dedicated to doers, dreamers, and realists who want more success and satisfaction in their life. This podcast is about answering one question. How can you build a fulfilling career where it's all about doing work you love and growing your income without sacrificing your values? And now your host, she still hasn't given up on her dream of being a television personality, Dr. Grace Lee. Hi, it's Grace, and welcome to another episode of Career Revisionist. Today, I have a special guest for you, and his name is Mac Pritchard. Now, Mac Pritchard has a very, very inspirational career story, and you'll see when I speak with him how diverse his career experiences have been and where he came from in academia as well. He went to Harvard Kennedy School. He has MPA in public administration, and he had a Bachelor of Arts in political science, and he had quite an interesting career. And so I'll let him tell you about that. But suffice to know that later on and in for the past almost decade, he has been running a public a public communication agency and it's called Pritchard Communications. But Mac is also the founder of something called MaxList, right? And MaxList is a regional job board and it's also a career community that serves the greater Oregon area in Portland. And so he's been passionate about serving that community in the Pacific Northwest. And so he's been running MaxList as a job board as well where where you can get um postings for from jobs in in that in that community and max list has been a real real inspiration for people in that community so i want to talk to him about how he got to form max list uh, how he chose his academic um, path in the past and how that has shaped his career. So he's going to share a lot about stories as well. And then we're, we're, we're going to talk about careers as well because Mac is very passionate about helping people in their careers and helping them to break through their own limitations and building career paths that are meaningful and purposeful to what they believe is important. So Mac is also helping people out with that in their career journeys. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But as you can see, you will begin to see that Mac's story is very interesting and it's very diverse. So this is someone who has found, who has really such a diversity of experience and he's been able to take everything he's learned from his various job experiences and package that knowledge into wisdom that he's using now to serve the people in his community. So without further ado, this is my introduction to a friend and a colleague, Mac Pritchard. Hi, Mac. Thank you for joining Career Revisions. It's a pleasure to have you as a guest today. It's a pleasure to be on the show, Grace. Thank you. Okay, so for my listeners and my viewers, so Mac Pritchard, we met when we were introduced, we met on, we connected on LinkedIn, and it was great because we had a conversation and I was on your podcast too, a couple of weeks ago, was it? It was. In fact, your interview airs in about two weeks on October 23rd, and I enjoyed our conversation very much. Had terrific advice for our listeners. And I know it will be well received. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Mac. And you know, when we were talking, I really got, I really got um, great wisdom out of our conversation. I really enjoyed the conversation, the insightful questions you asked. And really, it boils down to you and I, we have the same mission. You know, we are career strategists. We have passion about helping people in their careers. But before we get into that, 
Now, I want to talk about where you came from, your background a little bit. You know, so you're president of Pritchard Communications. You also own something called MaxList. We can get into that later on. But you know, your background is very interesting. You I mean you went to Harvard Kennedy School. You studied public administration. I mean, you you know about public relations. So, could you share with my listeners and my viewers, you know, where a little bit about your background, how education, how you chose your various educational paths, and how that has helped you how that led to where you are today. Well, I grew up in Iowa and I bring that up because it's uh, because the Iowa caucuses, politics is a big part of the culture there. And I was in love with electoral politics from an early age. In fact, I used to skip high school to uh, attend events for presidential candidates. Uh, this was way back in the 1970s. And I, I knew when I went to uh, university I, where I studied political science, when I graduated, I, I knew I wanted to do three things, uh, Grace. I wanted to work on electoral campaigns. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do human rights advocacy in Latin America. And I wanted to write, get to get paid to write. And I'll be candid. I don't think I could have said it as crisply as I just rolled it off there. But I, I had those general goals. Mm-hmm. And I bring that up because uh, I was I had a lot of success my first five years after college. I got a job on a U.S. Senate campaign in Iowa, and I found it through a newspaper ad. I had had an internship in Washington, D.C. with a human rights organization, and um, and that led in turn to a job in D.C., and, and I had a lot of success there. And Eventually, I found another position in Boston working with a human rights group where we took members of Congress on fact-finding trips to Central America. And the reason I tell the story is because I thought finding work was easy. Uh, All you had to do was respond to newspaper ads, um, tell people uh, that you met, say, through an internship that you were looking for an opportunity. And and, uh, and both of my second and third jobs came to me through word of mouth. But I, I learned after I left the third job that it's not easy to find work. And you need to not only know what you want, you need to uh, have to know how to look for work. And I went through a long period of unemployment um, after that third job. And I I had later success. I uh, worked in public affairs in Boston for a big public works project. Uh, I was the uh, state spokesman for the state refugee resettlement office. I went to Harvard Kennedy School. I had a career after I decided to move to Oregon, working in electoral politics and government. And that led to me creating a uh, public relations company that works with foundations, nonprofits, and uh, public agencies, as well as starting the regional job board, MaxList. But throughout all of those experiences, I learned about the importance of mastering job hunting as a skill, having clear goals, and, and uh, especially, Grace, about the importance of being of service to others. Because... Uh, one of the most valuable lessons I've learned is that when you give to others without expectation, it helps you not only personally, um, but professionally as well. And some of the most uh, rewarding opportunities I've had have come to me unexpectedly because I've done things like share job postings, made time to help job seekers, gotten involved in boards and community groups. Uh, so service is a central value for me, uh, and it's been an animating force in my career. Yes. I go back to something that you said just now. You said that you thought that job, that it would be easy to find a job, and then you learned that it wasn't. So tell me, like share with us, 
why did you feel, what made you feel that it was going to be, what made you think that in the first place that it might be easy? And then when you found out it was hard, what was the most, what was the hardest thing about it? Well, I think many of us come out of high school or college and we think the way to look for work is to respond to public postings. Mm -hmm. I'm getting along in years. So I was, I grew up in the pre-internet era and in those days you looked at newspaper ads. Today it's job boards like Max List, uh, but the principle is the same. And because I had success uh, finding those first three jobs, either through a newspaper ad or just through casual word of mouth, I thought uh, job hunting, the way you look for work was to respond to ads or just tell people, if you hear of anything, let me know. And my period of unemployment, I actually cashed the last unemployment check in my, my mid-20s after that. Uh, I, le I left that third job taught me that you, you had to master job hunting as a skill. And the earlier you do it, the more rewarding a career you're going to have. And um, the way I did it, Grace, was after being out of work for six months, um, and this was in Boston, my wife was working at a university, Northeastern University, and someone in the career services office agreed to meet me. And she taught me the basic principles of goal setting and informational interviews and networking. Mm -hmm. And it was a, it was a transformational con conversation because I took the ideas she shared with me, used them to set up some informational interviews that helped me set a goal. And I found uh, a great job yeah. working on Boston's big dig as their first public information officer back in the 1980s. And it was never advertised. Uh, it was filled by word of mouth. And I didn't, I didn't have a close relationship to the people who offered me the job, but I had the skills. I knew what I wanted and I was an effective candidate. Uh, that experience taught me that, uh, again, if you approach job hunting as, as any other job and you know that it requires skills and knowledge, you're going to be effective in finding a position that not only is, uh, not only in getting a job, Grace, but getting a job that matches your values and your goals, and that's going to be so much more rewarding than just accepting a position because it's a paycheck. Right, right. So I love what you said earlier, and I want to highlight that you said pre-internet era. Right. So I was around, like I grew up in the 90s, and in the mid-90s, that was where internet, you know, started, people had to start, had started having computers in every single home. And of course, back then it was still dial up and things were slower, but still that was the dawn of the information age, right? And, and it's great to have you as a guest on the show because you've experienced both, you know? So I would love to hear your perspective, your personal perspective on pre-internet era, pre-information age. And now, of course, today we're beyond the information age, beyond it. So give us some insight on your experiences. How different is job searching pre-information age and today post-information age? Well, I think this, many of the same principles apply. One of the things that is striking to me about the internet age is it's never been easier to find jobs and to apply for positions. So whatever your goal might be or uh, the occupation you're interested in, you can do a quick internet search and you can find dozens, sometimes hundreds of open positions. And you can, if you want to, send out dozens, even hundreds of applications. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I see the people I see who do that get frustrated because they never hear back. And 
the one of the principles that applies today and applied uh, before the internet is people hire people they know, like, or trust, or they hire people who are recommended to them by people they know, like, or trust. So our challenge when we're looking for work, whether we're responding to newspaper ads in the 80s or looking at job boards um, in uh, 2019, is to have a clear goal because our time is limited and we can only apply so many places. And we need to build relationships inside the organizations where we are interested in working. Uh, and uh, because in the end, it's relationships that matter. Um, it's Today, it's easy to get uh, an application in front of somebody, but your real challenge, and this was true 30 years ago, was is to get in front of that person face-to-face. Yeah. And we can talk about ways you we uh, uh, your listeners can do that. Yeah, yeah. Share some of the ways. The key one, I, I, Grace, I think it, it really begins with goal setting. You have to know what you want. Yes. And so if, and I've said these things, so I'm not uh, belittling the people who might have said this uh, recently. You can't be open to all options. You, you know, sometimes I'll talk to people and say, well, tell me about your goals. Well, I'm, I'm keeping my options open. Or uh, I'll mention a possibility and say, well, I, I could do that. I'm open to that. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, that's a reflection of uh, uncertainty. And if you want to get a rewarding job uh, or have work that you, you find satisfying, you have to invest time in goal setting and getting clear about what you want. And it's okay, Grace, to, to have two or three goals. Uh, most people have multiple interests, and, and most people uh, – I think almost everyone is going to have three, four careers during the course of 40 years in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So recognize that. Understand you don't have to find the perfect job. And it's when you do find a position, it's not a life sentence. Uh, so come up with, uh, if you don't know exactly what you want, uh, identify two or three areas that interest you. And then spend some time talking to people who do that work and find out how, what they enjoy most about it what skills and experiences you need to be successful in that occupation and um, and ask for advice about uh, how you could position yourself to be a good candidate and uh, what kind of challenges you might have to overcome if you're uh, being considered by a hiring manager. The best way to have those conversations are are what are called informational interviews. They're structured meetings uh, with some certain goals in mind and it's not about picking somebody's brain or, or going out for coffee. It's it's a research project. And uh, so you got to have goals. Uh, you need to explore them. You can do that through one-on-one meetings, and people will make the time to talk to you. Yeah. I love what you said there is that you have you, you can't be – you can't say I want I'll do anything or I'm broadly applying, right? Because I always – I have this analogy where pl- building your career and creating your career is so similar to building a business. In a business, if you market to everybody, you end up marketing to nobody, right? And so I, I, that's what I, I, so, I feel so strongly about. And I see a lot of people saying that, oh, I'm just applying. I'm applying for anything that I qualify for. It doesn't matter. If I can do it, I'll just apply for it. And if you chase two rabbits, you'll end up getting none. Agreed. And, <laughs> and sometimes, and I've been there, uh, we have to take paycheck jobs. We might work at a staffing agency or 
a temp agency, or maybe we have a professional background and we've got bills to pay. So we take a, a position working behind a register at a convenience store. There's a dignity that comes with that, uh, that I think it's always better to work than to not work. Yeah. But, uh, but to your point, uh, you can't be all things to all employers. And when you try to be, your, your challenge there is you're competing against people who know exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. And so if you're, if you're competing against a candidate who has the background and the clear goals and the confidence that comes from that, and you're uncertain or you're open to this position, you're just not going to be competitive. Yeah. And the thing is, the information interviews, you know, referrals, it's all about relationships, isn't it? It is. And sometimes people hear that and they think, oh gosh, I'm doomed because I don't know a lot of people. Uh, and I, I have my heart set on working at this company or that nonprofit or inside this public agency. And I don't know anybody there. Well, here's the good news. Informational interviews can allow you to uh, find people inside those organizations and build relationships with them. They are not strong ties, but more good news, uh, even the weakest of connections can give you an advantage over people who are coming in cold through the front door, typically through uh, applying through a job board or a public posting. And uh, people will take these meetings, their uh, informational interviews, uh, they are business meetings. You have to, and you're in charge. You've got to run them and structure them and have clear goals for them. But again, that's a skill you can learn. Yeah, absolutely. It is a skill. So Mac, I'm interested because, you know, you, you went to Harvard Kennedy school, you know, you have you, prior to that, you went to a different school. So I, I'm curious if you could share with us, how has going to college, how has education shaped your career path? Well, both degrees gave me, uh, background and information in the areas I wanted to work. And I, I was a political science and uh, major in Latin American studies minor at the University of Iowa. So I did coursework in uh, government politics in Latin America. And that was, gave me the knowledge that uh, uh, made me, that helped me be successful in my first two uh, jobs in my twenties. In DC, Washington, DC, I worked for a nonprofit that pitched, uh, reporters in national and international media about human rights abuses in Latin America. Mm-hmm. So knowing about the region and, uh, and its history, uh, and that knowledge came from my academic work was very helpful, but that wasn't enough, Grace. Uh, when I took the position, I had to learn how to uh, basic public relations skills. So I had to learn how you call up a reporter, how to write a news release, how to organize a news conference. And I got that experience through my internship as an undergraduate and then a lot of on-the-job training and just having a a learning mindset. Um, And that positioned me for my second job, which was taking members of Congress on fact-finding trips to Central America. That was like we did one or two trips a year. And it was like working on a a campaign. I would do advance work and handle all the logistics. So having, again, that academic knowledge of of Central America, having learned Spanish in college. Mm-hmm. Um, those were helpful skills, but uh, the skills I'd learned um, at an entry-level position in a U.S. Senate race were also very helpful, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went to the Kennedy School, my goal, and I was fortunate enough to get in, I had been about 10 years 
into my career and I'd never had formal training in communications mm-hmm. uh, or electoral politics or public management. And I, I had done those jobs. So I wanted to get the, the formal instruction. And then I also wanted to use the degree to reinvent myself as a, uh, a professional who was expert in electoral politics and uh, uh, communications for elected officials. So spending a year at Harvard and having that credential allowed me to present myself in that way. And it was also a handy credential to have for making a, uh, uh, a relo- I wanted to relocate to the West Coast. Right. And so that degree wasn't going to get me a job, but people would agree to take meetings. And I had a chance to pitch myself. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a useful degree. And, it, and in the 10 years that followed, uh, I did work. I was a speechwriter for a governor of Oregon. I worked for different state agencies and I worked on electoral campaigns. That's amazing. That's amazing. So at what point did you decide, okay, I'm going to start Pritchard Communications and Max List? And like, how did that come about? You had this, you had a career, you know, in political science and, you know, politics. So how did that, how did that mold to, okay, I'm going to branch out and do my own thing. And this is what I want to do. Well, let me just add one last thing about the graduate degree. One of the best pieces of advice I got when I was applying to Harvard was from several, I got it from several graduates of the program. They said, the school wants to invest in people who know where they want to go. So before you send in your application, be clear about what you want. And then in your uh, essays and in your interviews, talk about how the school is going to help you be successful, point to particular courses or instructors. And I I bring that up because uh, often universities don't do that. They don't uh, encourage people to think about their goals before they apply. They they look at other criteria. And that was very helpful to me professionally, but also personally as well, because it it reinforced the habit of, of goal setting. And I'm so grateful you shared that because most people, I, I hear a lot of people say that, well, I don't want to choose yet because I want to keep my options open. Right. So choosing kind of has this cognitive bias of, okay, well, if I choose, then I commit it. And what if I don't like it? What if I made a mistake and I don't like it later on? But it's, it's people respect you if you do, if you have the courage to choose and if you have the courage to say, okay, I think this is my goal. This is what I'm interested in. And this is why I want to pursue. So did that empower you when you heard that? It did. And it took the pressure off because uh, applying to an Ivy League school and I think, okay, I have to have the most um, ambitious goals and the most prestigious endorsers or uh, recommenders. And I, I give points to the school for saying this. Uh, they said, uh, the people I met with said, you don't have to want to be a U.S. senator um, if you uh, – if you if your goal is to be a, a city council member in Montana, or you want to run a um, a nonprofit in Anchorage or um, a refugee program in Florida, just be clear about that. Uh, because we want people we want to invest in people who uh, know where they want to go. And and in terms of recommenders, the advice I got was avoid celebrities. Get letters from people who know you well. And I know people who. Uh, applied to that program and had letters from the president of the United States, <laughs> and they didn't get hit. I did not have recommenders like that, 
but the people who wrote about me knew knew me well, and uh, and I think that's those are principles that apply to anybody's career, whether you're applying uh, to a graduate school or you're thinking about your next opportunity. I also want to uh, call out Grace your point about people worried that they're going to make a choice and uh, they have to live with that choice for yeah. the rest of their lives. So, uh, you know, in talking about my story, it's clear I worked in Latin American human rights issues for about seven years. And it was, I had, I enjoyed my experience. And then I moved on to state government and politics. And now I run a public relations agency. I also run a regional job board. Um, I've had other interests that I've pursued through volunteer work in community boards and the like, and I'm not unique. Most people are, and I know you've had different experiences as well. I think people who get the most satisfaction from both their personal and professional lives, uh, find ways to act on multiple interests through the course of a long lifetime and, and in the workplace, probably about 40 years. Yes. So share with us, right, you, you run a, a public relations agency. How did that decision come about? I was working as national communications director for a juvenile justice reform project based in Portland, Oregon, where I live. And we operated eventually in 18 states. My job was funded by a national foundation, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And the funders uh, were... Uh, were going to stop funding my job. It was just part of the grant. The grant was coming to an end. And the person I worked with said, well, why don't you come and work with me as a contractor and set up your own consulting practice? I had not imagined that I would run my own business, Grace, but once I started doing it, it felt very familiar to me. Uh, and the reason it did was I'd worked on about a dozen election campaigns. And uh, so I knew how to uh, and I'd had different roles. I'd been a manager, I'd been a, a director or a volunteer, but an election campaign is, is like a startup. Yeah, you, you've got a product, it's the candidate. It usually starts with a discussion around a kitchen table with a candidate and friends and family. And you've got to set up systems and hire teams and you've got a product. It's the candidate. And you know on election night whether you had a sale or not. And once you go through, and then you shut it all down, win or lose, and then you start all over again. So I've been through that process about a dozen times before I started my company, and um, and I, I thought, oh yeah, this this makes perfect sense. And it 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 once I had that experience, it, it felt like a very natural move. Okay, okay. So where in that process, how when where did MaxList come up? Come up? <laughs> well, I. I mentioned at the start, service is an important value to me. And one way I was of service to the community was to share job postings. And uh, they would cross my desk. I had been working in state government uh, about 45 miles south of uh, Portland in the state capital, Salem. I wanted to stay in touch with uh, colleagues down there after I'd left my last state government position. So when postings crossed my desk, I would share them with a small list of people. And that list grew over the years. I started hearing from people I didn't know who asked to be added, uh, from employers I didn't know who asked me to share postings. And uh, after nine years, I had about a thousand names. Um, and it had become a part-time job. And I, I stopped it. And people started calling me. 
And I realized I was meeting a need there. So I thought, okay, I'll start charging for listings just to cover my costs. And and that was nine years ago. Today, we get about 65,000 visitors to our monthly website. And uh, we sell about uh, 700 job postings a month. Uh, what makes us unique among job boards is we recognize the importance of helping job seekers learn job hunting is a skill. So we have articles about how to do this, uh, our our weekly podcast, uh, several courses and and two books. And we also teach employers how to do hiring better because many organizations hiring is something that is added on to somebody else's uh, job. Somebody else is already doing. Um, And often job seekers get frustrated because they're not hearing back from employers or the hiring process isn't as, as effective as it might be, usually it's not malicious. Uh, it uh, grace just people just don't know how to. Uh, people who were hired to um, run a program or uh, be an office manager aren't expert in HR, so we help them with that as well. Got it. So, out of curiosity, the people who reach out to you on Maxlist and say, "Oh, I have a job. I have a job. I want to post a posting," are they largely HR managers? that have been hired by the leader in that company or are they the employer him or herself? It's the employer uh, as with larger companies, we do deal with HR managers. Often it's people who began as readers of the list. We publish a newsletter every Tuesday with that week's new jobs Mm -hmm. and they have a positive experience. And then they, uh, they ask their HR manager or their supervisor when a position opens up to post with us it's grown organically by word of mouth. And uh, it was only in the last year or so that we started doing some uh, paid advertising on Facebook and other channels. Uh, Oh, this is really interesting because really when, okay, so I I teach something called the candidacy ascension triangle. mm -hmm. And really what that means is that when you, when you, if you think of it as a, as a pyramid, outright equilateral triangle, right? At the very top is the red ocean of how how most you know job seekers how most employees how most professionals look for work it's the job boards it's the career fairs you know it is the company websites right and it's really red ocean it's a very very red ocean mm-hmm. uh, but most employers it doesn't matter if they're a fortune 500 or if they're a startup or if they're in, somewhere in the middle they look in the opposite direction mm-hmm. you know they look for referrals or it's internal marketing and then they go backwards up and the very top, the red ocean is the last place they look. So the way that high potential professionals search for careers and the way that employers look for talent is in the opposite direction. It is. And <laughs> you're probably familiar with this. Uh, there are estimates out there anywhere between 40 to 80% of all jobs are ever posted anywhere. They're filled by word of mouth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, whatever the figure is, whether it's 40 or 80%, I think it's important for people to recognize that and then ask themselves, well, what am I going to do about that? Because if I'm looking only looking at job boards, mm-hmm. I'm missing out on a huge number of the available positions. Mm-hmm. And some people get frustrated and say, well, that's not fair. Or, um, I, gosh, I, how am I ever going to find those positions? Mm-hmm. Well, you can, uh, uh, again, recognize that positions are filled. Many positions are filled by word of mouth and start having conversations with people inside the companies where you want to work about uh, their needs, their problems, and what's coming up. And 
then make yourself, and then you become part of those conversations when managers are asking for referrals or passing the word along. Yeah. So what you've done is really creative and it's very interesting because as you said, Maxless has grown organically and like you serve the Pacific Northwest, the Portland, Oregon regional areas and some er areas around it too, right? The states of Washington and and Oregon. So we're in Seattle, Portland and and the surrounding towns. And we do, uh, many people come for the job listings uh, because of the educational content that we offer through articles, the podcast, the courses, we do attract people outside the Pacific Northwest. The podcast, our weekly show, Find Your Dream Job, 85% of our downloads are outside of the Pacific Northwest. Wow, that's that's incredible. It's incredible. And how you've built that network. You know, so that just goes to show how you've really taken the relationship economy and use it as a service to help so many people in that region. Yeah. yeah. And again, relationships, are, they're so important in everything, but especially when uh, looking for work or thinking about your career. And again, sometimes people hear that and think, well, I'm, I'm shy, I'm introverted, I, uh, I don't know how to do that. Um, but there, there are lots of ways to build relationships. And it's all about human connection in the end. And and we can all do that. And and again, it's a skill that you can learn. Right, right. So, Mac, I I, I want to ask if you had if you had to if I asked you right now to do a projection of in of the future, the future of work, the future of job searching, and you know, matching em- employers and and high performing professionals. What do you see as the direction that, that we're going? Like, what do you where do you see we're going? I mean, we are well beyond the information age. Right now, in this age, it's all about partnerships. You know, it's about relationships. So, how what do you see happening in the future? Like, what are you excited about? What are you optimistic about? Like, what do you see in the future that's happening in, in this job marketplace? In terms of hiring, I think we will see more automation and uh, more availability of postings. And I think that's uh, a blessing and a curse, Grace, because uh, we talked at the start of the conversation about how it's never been easier to find a job online. And uh, we get fewer and fewer uh, responses and and, and we are much more likely to uh, hear not to hear back. So that doesn't mean that those trends aren't going to continue. Uh, I think what, to your point, I think relationships are going to remain important. And so uh, I think job seekers need to avoid the temptation of being, falling into just relying on online methods and automated methods to find work. Um, Too many people use those tools exclusively and they ignore uh, relationships and human connection. I think no matter how automated the process become hiring becomes uh, and no matter how many positions are out there uh, in the end, it, it all comes down to human connection. So I think people in 10 years and in 50 years, once we have the most rewarding careers and the most satisfying jobs will be the people who, pay attention to relationships, um, find ways to connect with others and uh, start that work though with clear goals. And if they're not clear about how to, what their goals might be, get help in, uh, in getting that clarity. 
Right, right. So how important do you think the resume will continue to be? You know, there's a lot of conversation about, oh, the resume is dead. It's not dead yet. I'm on the notion personally that a resume is a formality and you do need to have one updated, prepared, professional because it's your marketing document. I'm also aware that, you know, and I've shown my clients ways to find a high level position, six figure positions without even applying. No, no resume. So what is your take? Like, what is your opinion, your professional opinion on this document? Is it going to continue to have the weight that it does now? You know, are we changing directions? Like, what is, what's your thought on that? I think the resume is here to stay. I think it's, it's not as important as it was perhaps a generation ago, Mm -hmm. but it has to be good. It has to be really good. And, but it is a tool. I think the people who will have the most success in job search and in their careers are the ones who are really good at goal setting and who know where they want to go and pay attention to building relationships in the company and the sector where they want to be. Yeah. And building relationships means not only asking people for help, but it also means being of service to others. Uh, and the people who do both uh, are the ones I see have the most satisfying careers and the most success. Wow. I love what you said. I mean, you said it multiple times, service to other people, right? I mean, you must be familiar. There's a a quote from Zig Ziglar that I really love. And it says that you can have anything you want in life if you help many people get what they want. Right. Zig Ziglar is one of my favorite quotes, right? Yeah. That's a a great quote. I think (laughs) it's a version of it, but yeah. 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 So I got to ask, I have to ask, Mac, three traits what are the three traits that you would say that you had that allowed you to build your career the way that you built it, that have allowed you to touch so many people, that have allowed you to build your network, everything that you've been accomplished in, you, in your career? What would you say are the three biggest traits that were important to have and for you to hone? Not waiting to be picked. Uh, and once I knew what I wanted, finding ways to learn about those opportunities or uh, connect with the people who could help me find those opportunities. That would be the first trade. The second would be humility. I think uh, there's nothing like cashing that last unemployment check grace to teach you um, you're not that important. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I came within one, I've had two long periods of unemployment. One of them was after I had that fancy degree from Harvard. Mm-hmm. So uh, that uh, it's, it's good to stay humble. And uh, the third is uh, service to others. Uh, and I know I've, I've touched on that point a number of times, but I, I think about Max List today, it was just a way of being helpful. Now I have five employees and um, uh, tens of thousands of visitors coming to the website. But in the end, the reason it, it's grown is because um, we gave without any expectation of, of getting anything back. And we see ourselves as a service, and uh, and uh, and that's we're a certified benefit corporation. Um, we're part of that global movement of business as a force for social good. But that service is fun- a fundamental value for our company, and I think has been key to our success. Oh, that's that's amazing. So, what piece? What advice? You know, could you give to our listeners? My listeners are, you know, they've they've got they have a degree. Maybe they have studied something, they, they chose to the best of their ability, oh, this is what I think I like. And now fast forward a number of years, they've been working in a career related or semi-related to their degree. And they realize that I'm not happy. I'm not fulfilled. You know, I don't think I ever was fulfilled. 
So what advice do you have for listeners who are listening right now and they're thinking, well, I, my soul is telling me that I, I need to change now, but I'm afraid to because I don't know, I don't want to start from scratch and I don't want to have to go back to school. You know, so what advice do you have for people in that situation? Two things. Uh, recognize that change is normal because there are some people who pick a profession and stick with it for 40 plus years, but they're the exception. Uh, and yeah. most of us, uh, I would say nine out of 10, we're going to have two, three, four different careers in the course of a, of a lifetime. And so it's normal to come to the end of a career. And if we haven't figured out what we want next to feel some frustration. Um, and I think the second bit of advice I'd give is act on that frustration by finding people who have made the change that you think you want to make because they're out there. There are lots of sector switchers, mid-career changers, and they faced many of the same challenges that, that one of your listeners uh, is now struggling with. And you, we can all learn from those people and they're willing to share their advice. Um, You know, again, when I, I wanted to get into graduate school on paper, Grace, uh, I was not an ideal candidate. I had a 2.9 average from a, uh, a state university and, uh, and I actually had taken an incomplete. So it took me a number of years to finish my undergraduate degree. So rather than think that I couldn't get into Harvard, I went and I talked to people who had been to Harvard and I said, okay, um, what, how did you approach this? What have you seen was successful? And then I shared my challenges. What advice would you give to somebody with this checkered academic background? And um, how do you suggest I address it? And I got terrific advice and was able to put together a great application. Um, So, you know, we've all got our challenges, uh, but there are also people out there who've dealt with them and are willing to share what they've learned. You just got to find them and, and ask. Yeah, that's right. And the key is to find advice from people who have the success that you want. Exactly. Well said. (laughs) It's been amazing. Mac, I really enjoyed our conversation. So if you're listening to this right now, I want you to give your comments. So comment below what you've learned from this. If you have any questions as well, leave those there as well. We'd be happy to get back to you. Mac, where can we find you? Visit maxlist.org. And you'll find a regional job board that serves the Pacific Northwest. But if you uh, go to the learn section of the website, you'll find hundreds of articles about how to look for work, as well as uh, a number of free guides. And we did touch on uh, the weekly podcast, Find Your Dream Job. You can find that on our website or on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Every week we talk to a different career expert about the nuts and bolts of job hunting. It's been great to have you on the show. Thank you, Matt, for your time. I really appreciate it. And we will definitely stay in touch. Well, thank you, Grace. It's been a pleasure.